It's the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm Jeffrey Grossenbach, October 2008. In Berlin at RailsConf, met all kinds of people from all over the world who had been all over the world, who were going all over the world, including Jackie Marr and Pat Allen. I also sat down with the members of Intridia. Over at PeepCode Screencasts, I've recently published a new video on CouchDB, the document-oriented database that's highly scalable, fault-tolerant, powered by Erlang, JSON, REST, and all your favorite acronyms. If you do any work with any database of any kind, you should check it out. So here in Berlin with Jackie Marr, who has worked on an interesting Rails project in Malawi. Apparently it was presented here last year. Tell us about it. Um, well, I worked with a group called Baobab Health, and they've been using Rails for about maybe a year and a half now. And uh, they presented at RailsConf last year in Berlin, and my friend Josh here saw the presentation and knew it would be right up my alley because it's public health related. So um, I got in touch with them and gradually made plans to go down there and visit them. So it was because you saw them here at the conference that you decided to go. Did you volunteer or you were contracting for a I while? How did that work? Um, I volunteered, yeah. yeah. I combined it with a trip to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, so that was fun, yeah. So what kind of things it manages? Uh, medical data, people with HIV, uh, how do, what are they doing with it? Um, well, so they have a couple of applications. The main one is used by clinicians, n- nurses, doctors in the field at various clinics throughout Malawi, and it's used to record patient uh, data and drug interaction, uh, prescriptions, when they need a refill on certain things, all sorts of stuff, yeah. It sounds like they have some special uh, challenges, limited internet access, trying to find information. That must be a rough situation. Yeah, they definitely have to think outside the box, use like a cliche. Um, They have to, let's see, what have they done? They built their own cell towers to make their own wireless network. Uh, They do power over ethernet onto a modified circuit board, I think. the whole setup kind of works like the Prius, if you know how that works. So when they have power outages, um, they start reading, you know, pow- they start getting power off the batteries that they have, and then otherwise they're charging the batteries. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And is this mobile or just for even just keeping the local clinic running that they need all that? Um, no, it's they have this kind of setup at every clinic, and I think they're at three or four clinics now and 165 doctors. Yeah, all using their application on modified eye-openers that they put touch screens on. Yeah. So pretty high-tech and super creative to do all that within the limitations, but it sounds like it's helping people out quite a bit. It definitely is, and I know that they really have been, um, all the people working with it really love it, and um, they get like instant feedback when they, they use Capistrano to deploy, and when they deploy, it's right in the clinics. Yeah provided the network's up. <laughs> Otherwise, they have to drive with a laptop. Good stuff. Well, do you think you'd go back there at all, or was it just kind of a one-time thing that you like to keep keep news about from time to time? Um, well, I'm going to continue working with them. They're hosted on GitHub, so um, I can you know, definitely work from anywhere and work with them, but I do want to go back. They're really nice. Yeah, and Malawi is a great place. Well, thanks. Yeah, sure, no problem. RailsConf Berlin, talking here with Pat Allen, who does happen to be writing a book for me on on uh, Sphinx, but a real reason I want to talk to him is talk about uh, something you mentioned at RejectConf, namely Rubius getting out of their own uh, world and trying to help people in the rest of the world, and you're doing that yourself 
in a couple months going to Cambodia. So what kind of things did you suggest that, that people should do to, to, to help the world, improve the world with Ruby? Well, I mean, there's different uh, levels you can approach this on. And, and so, you know, from a basic level, there's just open sourcing your code, you know, letting other people learn from, from your knowledge, learn from your mistakes, uh, and just, just getting that stuff out there. It seems like people do have a very generous nature to begin with, with wanting to give code out there for people to use. Exactly, and and one of the reasons I start with that is that a lot of people do it already, and and so it's it's not really a new idea, and they're and they're quite comfortable with that. But then you know you can you can take it a step further and maybe offer to do a, a guest lecture at your local uni on things like unobtrusive JavaScript or best practices with HTML or databases or whatever. Um, and, and you know, really interact with people face to face instead of just over blog posts or, or whatever. Um, and, and then you know, taking that another step, you could you can look at the groups in your local community who might need you know a gig to to help them set up a local network or, or get a basic website running or or stuff like that. And at the the, the far end of the scale is, is doing something like working overseas for a year in a in a developing nation, uh, helping local NGOs out. In, uh, in places like in Southeast Asia or, or Africa um, and, and really helping them get their, their technical systems up to scratch or, or just teaching kids how to use a computer or, or stuff like that. Sometimes when I've volunteered in the past, two problems. One is I think I'm going to go help by designing some fascinating new data structure, UI or something, and it turns out the things that they need help with are uh, connecting to a printer or you know, pasting images together or something like that, and it feels so basic. You know, I want to be asked to do the extent of all that I can do. And and then the other thing is that people, you know, now they become reliant on you. But it still seems like there's a place. Do you, have you experienced those things at all? How can one volunteer in a way that that is what what one can offer without getting too involved more than you want to be? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I I haven't really had that problem i haven't done much of it myself just yet but i know with uh with in the u.s they've got the peace cause and australia has a a youth ambassadors and and other countries have their own things and they are fixed placements at specific organizations and and you're given a brief of what you're expected to do over that you know three six twelve month period um so you are walking into this kind of position in in a different country with some expectation of of you know you will be building a website or you will be maintaining schools computers or or teaching kids how to you know use microsoft word or it, it could be something that basic you know um i mean yeah you generally won't find the really big complex stuff because these are places where internet is really limited and, and you know they might have mobile phones but we're not talking iphones here we're talking you know your very basic nokia with with SMS and, and, and calls, and that's pretty much it. Um, I know in Cambodia, uh, you've really got to pay a hell of a lot of money to get just 5, 12 kilobits down on an ADSL line. So, And, and that's definitely not unlimited like you get in the States. Um, so the, the technical situation is extremely limited. If you don't mind, tell us what were you doing in Cambodia. You're going to go there, for, even be there for a couple of months. Yeah, I'm going to start off with uh, two months there and then I've got to come back to Australia, but I might head back after that. Um, 
And my, my current plan is, is to, you know, spend a few days doing paid work for, for international clients or whatever, um, you know, my normal freelancing kind of thing. And then uh, another few days a week on working for the, for the local communities there. So I've got a friend who, who works with one or two already. And so she's lined up some work for me, you know, building websites or, or helping them with their computer stuff. The, the details are still a bit fuzzy at the moment, but there's, there's definitely several opportunities there, and, and that will be pro bono work. Well, I'll warn you to be careful. One time after I volunteered, it, by the end of the time, I knew the ins and outs of a Windows 98 network. Never, ever wanted to learn that. But if you need any help, call me up because I'm an expert. That's good to know. I'll keep that in mind. So it's Rails Podcast in Berlin, RailsConf 2008, talking to some of the developers from Intridea, Michael Blay, Pradeep Ankamaran, and Chris Selmer. So, Michael and Pradeep, you just taught a uh, tutorial this morning about hacking Rails internals. Was that pretty well attended? Uh, how many people were there? Uh, I think it's about 100 plus, 100 to 120 people. It's pretty well attended. In the last couple of weeks, it sounded like they were still selling tickets and the thing hadn't sold out, but it, it seems like there were quite a few people at the different tutorials, so maybe it did end up selling out. Yeah, it sort of seems that way. So what, it seems like that can be dangerous, hacking the Rails internals, especially as often as Rails changes for just the developer who wants to stay on the stable versions. What uh, do you, you must either think that's a good idea to try to hack the Rails internals or found some way around it to make it more maintainable over the long run. Um, that's why it's the Renegades Guide. Oh, okay. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's good to know the internals at the very least. So when the situation arises that you do need to hack it, you know how to. Or you know, the situation arises that something that Rails doesn't allow you to deliver quickly um, is necessary, then you know, you know how to do it. You don't have to worry about it. What kind of things did you tell people about or what kind of things have you done that you think are useful as far as knowing the internals? So we actually ran through how to load uh, App Slice plugins, so uh, plugins that are actually complete Rails apps in themselves. So we ran through that at the, in the tutorial. And uh, Michael, you want to tell him about subdomain foo? Yeah, um, I just ran through a couple of the plugins that I had written where they had sort of, at least on the surface, dealt with Rails internals. So I sort of walked through the basics of how I wrote subdomain foo, and I also walked through the basics of how I wrote UberKit, which is like a UI helper toolkit. So, But Pradeep has by far the more expansive experience with the internals. It seems like using subdomains is something that a lot of people want to do and initially people think okay i'm going to create a new database for every user and i'm going to create a new apache instance or something but no you with rails you have the ability you just wildcard the dns and then you try to pull that apart is that what subdomain foo does try to help that process yeah i mean so subdomain foo is just a plugin that the entire idea is that you know there were various solutions there was a DHH's account location that was, you know, from quite a while back, and there were a few other things, so I just sort of tried to take my idea of what a best practice would be for a simple way to handle subdomains and Rails apps and extracted it out into a plugin. So, do you think for hacking Rails internals, is that something that everybody should 
should do or or it's just for rare situations and and maybe uh stay on the publicly documented apis otherwise well i would say you know stay on the stable side but you have to keep your skills sharp and you have to know the tools that you're using so i think it's good to learn it if you can since both of you have looked through the most of the source code of rails i guess would ask you know what do you think is left for rails i almost get the impression that it's stable it's got all the features that we need the big changes seem to be just kind of moving with newer tools, like being able to install plugins from Git repositories or whatever. Not really a new feature, just accommodating other software out there. And other than that, it, it seems like it Rails does what it needs to. Why does it really need to even have a, a major release for a while? Um, it does do what it needs to, but it can definitely use with a nice coat of polish in the internals. Uh, Action View can be re-implemented. Uh, I think somebody from Fusion is actually working on that. And uh, the plugin loader can also be extended a bit. Merp, for example, supports app slice plugins, um, which is a lot more dry than rewriting the same code over and over for each one of your apps. So, for example, a blogs, some blogs code, you can pull that out and share it amongst five different apps instead of actually you know, rewriting it over and over. We almost had, we had that con, uh, components at the very beginning, right? right? Those got is that just trying to re-implement components, or is um, it a different idea? It's it's sort of like that, but it's more uh, having your own migrations and uh, just own separate comp. Well, I guess you know we're not using the components framework, but it's essentially monkey patching the plugins to add more support for controllers and views and migrations and such completely off topic but i do like the fact that the way uh like the django framework it's kind of built that way from the beginning every you basically start a project and then you build little apps inside of that and there is no just kind of default application it's just a bundle of different separate applications do you think that's almost a better way to go or is rails it's good that we have a default app folder well it's good that we have a default app folder because i mean app slice plugins are something that is not you don't necessarily need it to be a standard feature. It's something that for for the power users. But uh, Rails is you know a convenient framework. Not you know if if you want power, then you can modify it so that it'll be as powerful as you want. But if not, then you can you know just stick with the defaults. Well, sitting over here as well is uh, Chris Selmer. You've done a lot of more front-end stuff. You're going to talk soon about unobtrusive scripting and advanced UI topics. Even I wrote a little or read an article on uh, the Intradia blog about Colorist, a new gem that you're putting together for uh, adding, subtracting, working with kind of color information. Do you Did you start as a designer or start as a developer? How did you end up connecting the two? Um, well, I started as a developer. Um, Michael actually has been involved with most of our front-end type development lately. I've been doing um, moving from the developer side to more of the client relations, project management type piece. So hitting the, hitting the uh, whole multi-talented <laughs> jack-of-all-trades. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> now, I do have one beef. As I was looking up some of these things, uh, crowd sound... Did you guys copy Lighthouse, or did Lighthouse copy you? That's like the exact same shades of blue. <laughs> uh, that, Michael? That, I would actually be responsible for that. And, um, and blue is not copyrighted. <laughs> yeah, blue is not copyrighted. Um, 
I mean, you know, definitely that was coming out around the same time as Lighthouse 2. I'm guessing there was subconscious influence to some degree, but uh, it wasn't explicit. <laughs> so one of the things you're going to talk about is mid the mid-end. We have the back-end, we have the front-end, CSS, JavaScript, that kind of thing. We have the mid-end. What is, what is the mid-end? Well, so there's a layer kind of between... Um, you know, you know the back end and the front end that involves both, um, you know, back end programming and then integrating it with the front end. So doing stuff like uh, block accepting helpers, um, you know, to minimize or to to really separate out the back end development and the front end, so the developers can or the front end guys can go in and uh, you know make the changes to kind of the wrappers, and then developers can go in and use uh, you know, whatever they need to you know to put in the inside there. It seems like it's a real challenge to keep things separate enough that individual people can work on it and stay in the areas in which they're confident and yet still trying to consolidate the functionality together. It seems like some plugins like the UJS for Rails unobtrusive plugin try to do that to where you can just use the the regular Rails Ajax helpers, but then it would actually split that out into different files for you. But then it seemed like it it was too much going on behind the scenes. People didn't really like it. Do you think what's the balance between giving people extra power that that Rails can do, and and even things like adding colors together in your style sheets, uh, but then still allowing people to to work separately on different things? Well, I think there's definitely you know layers of abstraction that you kind of want to avoid whenever you extract stuff too far out from the end people who are going to be using it. Um, yeah, it really makes it difficult, I think, for them to understand what's going on. Is that kind of what you're asking? or Yeah, or even, you know, we've got stuff like, well, I mean, leads into this. See, we've got stuff like Google Web Toolkit and uh, the Sprout Core now, a Ruby library to generate all this JavaScript. And, and it's like people want to work less and less in JavaScript and more in different languages that, that they like. And yet JavaScript is also available in all different places. You know, I've been looking at CouchDB. Now, instead of SQL, it's all done in JavaScript. And... We, you know, we have all this. Is that uh, what's what's your take on on the level? Should we abstract to something like Sprout, Sprout Core to where we're writing all our JavaScript in Ruby, or should we just try to make more uh, user friendly JavaScript frameworks that that are easier to work in? Uh, Michael, oh my, <laughs> sure. Um, well, I mean, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to personal preference. You know. I used to use the Rails helpers, you know, for almost all of my JavaScript stuff, but over time it just sort of, you know, it's sort of like a square peg in a round hole ultimately. I don't feel like writing a language entirely in a generating language is the way to go. I think that, you know, jQuery has certainly made it a lot easier and other libraries are making it so that you can write unobtrusive JavaScript without having to tear your hair out with frustration at how JavaScript is founded. Well, talk briefly about Intridea. It sounds like you guys are doing quite a bit of different things, hosting, scaling applications on uh, EC2, providing some different applications your own, and then providing uh, social networking applications that people can customize for their niche. What is is that what Intridea is? It then everything, all of the above, plus some consulting? Sure. Uh, we started out uh, basically as a consulting company, um, and, you know, Based on all of the applications we've built for our clients, we've extracted out several core products. 
Um, you know, we've seen common needs from all the different clients. Uh, you know, social networking, uh, needing to do media transcoding of some sort, um, difficulty scaling websites, and uh, need for user feedback on the websites in a kind of a in a interactive way. So um, we're still doing consulting. Um, that probably about about half of our business, and then half of it is uh, with our product development side. Now that I still like EC2, but the, you know the full reliance on it. We've seen S3 go down a couple times in the last year. I use S3, but I also have other backups as far as ways to serve serve content if I need to. I mean, it seems like that's for the pretty soon the whole internet just to be hosted on Amazon and Google uh, App Kit or Web Kit or whatever it is. Um, seems like that's put, putting all one's eggs in, in a single basket. Is that how, why do you guys feel like that's still a good way to go for scaling as opposed to maybe having more personal control over the actual machines running it? Sure. Well, our scaler product, actually, uh, we're, we're rewriting it to allow you to use um, any number of cloud computing platforms. Simultaneously? Um, or you just choose one and go for it? I believe that's in the long-term goals is to be able to say, I want my storage on this platform and I want my actual servers to be here. Um, but the next version is just going to allow you kind of pick one, um, one of several different options. So you could choose Amazon. You could choose, uh, I think, Joint, uh, several and several other different options. Well, thanks for taking a few minutes to talk about that. Uh, a lot of different things happening in at this conference. Quite, it seems like a different crowd. I don't see a lot of the people, or at least the the people I'm used to seeing from last year, and yet. Uh, Every year, new startups coming up and new developers and developing interesting projects. All right.